the holiday break is over and people are back in the streets demanding a permanent ceasefire in Gaza and an end to the U.S. support for Israel. On Saturday, there were protests in Ridgewood, Queens, in Little Yemen, in the Bronx, and outside the Lincoln Center. In a few minutes, we'll go to a couple of the organizers of Saturday's protest in Ridgewood. But first, we start with yesterday's shutdown of lower Manhattan traffic by pro-Palestinian protesters who made national headlines when they blocked inbound traffic on the Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Williamsburg bridges and outbound traffic at the Holland Tunnel on the west side of Manhattan. These are some of the protesters chanting at the Holland Tunnel blockade. By day's end, at least 325 protesters would be arrested. That was footage gathered yesterday by indie associate editor Amba Gagarian. I spoke with Amba a little while ago about yesterday's action in lower Manhattan and started by asking her to describe uh, what unfolded uh, yesterday morning in lower Manhattan as she witnessed it. And th- this action appeared to take the NYPD by surprise. Sure. So an activist at 9.30 from a coalition of groups totaling around a 1,000 spread across uh, four different locations began to blockade uh, all lower Manhattan bridges. So the Manhattan, the Brooklyn, and the Williamsburg Bridge is as well as the outbound Holland Trail Tunnel. And that included, you know, uh, three entryways to that and then the main entrance. Uh, so there were many activists blockading these areas. The blockades lasted uh, anywhere from about an hour and a half to two hours, the longest one being at the Holland Tunnel. And that's where I was. So I don't have firsthand information from the bridge blockades, um, but I was there at the Holland Tunnel full, full Holland Tunnel for a while, and there were at, at least 120 arrestees from all the different entrances to the tunnel being amassed near the tunnel, you know, which took about 45 minutes to an hour. So that in itself, you know, the blockade was not allowed to last by the police for two hours. The blockades were allowed to last for about an hour while the police scrambled to get all their guys in line and their calls. It seems like they did not know about this. The police were not tipped off or, you know, their intelligence did not find out about this. So it took them a while to scramble. And then to actually arrest everybody. And while they're doing that, they still block off the bridges and the tunnels. So effectively for so around... they joined your at- the action. <laughs> yeah, the cops joined the action. Um, no, no, they didn't. They shut it down. But the, how long it took them to get organized and shut it down did help. So so those main, uh, main you know, entry and exits to Manhattan were blocked at a pivotal time. Lower Manhattan saw a total gridlock. Um, I was trying to take a cab actually from the Holland Tunnel on the west side over to the Manhattan uh, Bridge on the east side, and I couldn't, you know, the I couldn't, the, it was completely gridlocked. The, the car wasn't moving. I got out of the car and got on a bike. Um, 
And there were, so there were arrests made at three locations, actually, at the Williamsburg Bridge, at the Brooklyn Bridge, and obviously at the Holland Tunnel. The Manhattan Bridge activists were not arrested because the police there threatened them with a misdemeanor, which is a higher offense than the uh, disorderly conduct. And the disorderly conduct that uh, activists usually get for uh, blocking traffic and for protesting in the streets. And so they chose, they elected to walk down out of that. But I saw that at the Brooklyn Bridge, we had a photographer over there, Laura Brett. And she, uh, you know, showed us that the people's hands in the pipeline, they were like... (laughs) Um, chained hand to hand with a pipeline around their hands. And then two of those pipelines, the central ones in the middle of the protesters was actually cemented into a tire. And it was like effective. Like it took a lot longer for the cops to deal with that. So, you know, that's what I witnessed. Obviously a lot of anger, but also solidarity, people honking in solidarity. Um, it's New York, baby. (laughs) And, uh, it's not easy uh, getting around Gaza right now either. Oh, it's not easy getting around Gaza. And I think, you know, whether it was intentional or not, the activists did a great job of creating that effect, you know, and hopefully some people who were stuck in their cars um, thought about that, you know, uh, of being trapped somewhere and not being able to go where you want. Yeah, whether it's because you're going to get bombed or because there's a bunch of trash and dead bodies of humans and animals in the street or because there's activists blockading your way. Yes. Uh, so I. Uh, can can you elaborate on uh, a little bit more uh, why the protesters uh, felt like uh, they needed to take this action? Right, and this I'll escalation. Add- Right, and I'll add too that the the protesters was really an amalgam of groups: the DSA, the Palestinian Youth Movement, Wabog Writers Against the War on Gaza, um, the JFRED, Jews for Racial and Economic Justice, and definitely want to shout out to JVPNY, Jews for uh, Jewish Voice for Peace, because that's a that's a big group. And out of all of them, uh, somewhere between three hundred and four hundred were arrested. So they really sacrificed a lot, and it was to, of course, call for a ceasefire, but also amplify the Palestinian Youth Movement five main demands um, around Palestine and Gaza right now, which is an immediate ceasefire, an end to the siege on Gaza, the release of all Palestinian prisoners, of which there are at least 7,000, an end to the occupation of Palestine, and an end to the U.S. aid to Israel. So it was to, uh, you know, say a ceasefire, but also free Palestine. Um, and I think the timing of it was significant because we've seen an amplification, you know, um, uh, a rising in the level of intensity of these protests, you know, on October 14th or October 20th, there were many protests and more people than there are now willing to protest in the streets, but they were, we were doing street protests and things that were less disruptive and no demands were heard. Biden continues to give as much money to Israel as it wants to kill Palestinians in Gaza and in the West Bank. And, um, and people have had it. And so no change is happening. So they stopped marching in the sidewalks and they went to the streets and they stopped marching in front of, you know, representatives windows who have done nothing. And they went to block the traffic to have their demands be heard. Right. Uh, we saw a similar action recently. But in a moment of desperation, also because it's amplifying the calls from Gaza, which are, if you're following any Gazan journalists, they're, you know, disheartened more than ever by the world's response. Right. So they saw a tangible act of solidarity in lower Manhattan yesterday. Yeah. Right. And, and I, I, I can't help but think. Uh, you know, for, for drivers who were angered and people who may have actually missed, you know, something important they needed to get to, uh, that their anger should be more directed at our government. We have a situation where 
roughly two thirds of the public has been supporting a ceasefire now for months and, and very few people in, in Congress and no one of any stature in the White House is responding to this. So we have a, a breakdown in representative democracy. That's the underlying uh, issue here. And uh, we know um, APAC, the American uh, Israel Public Affairs Committee, has essentially bought off most of Congress uh, over the years to engineer this kind of uh, uh, roadblock to uh, the government responding to what people want. Uh, so, No pun intended. <laughs> right. Yeah, the the original roadblock. It is too, but what you're saying is that that kind of action, or what you're not saying, but what you did say, is that that kind of action leads to these literal roadblocks or blockades. Like right. what you're saying, right, is that you know people shouldn't be so frustrated at the activists, but of the inertia of a government to not support a genocide. Correct. You bet. So uh, before you have to go here, Amba, uh, there's also been a a, a, n- a number. Of uh, uh, more neighborhood level protests that have been happening throughout the city uh, since this war began, including this weekend on Saturday, there were protests in the Bronx um, and also in Ridgewood, Queens, led by the Ridgewood Tenants Union. Uh, you covered uh, that protest, uh, and uh, we're going to talk in a few minutes with a couple of organizers from the Ridgewood Tenants Union uh, about why they organized a protest for Palestine on Saturday. But in your coverage. You had the chance to talk with some of the bystanders who watched the march go by. And I thought that was one of the most interesting parts of your article. Uh, can you just offer us a, a couple of highlights uh, from that? And then we can people can read the rest of your article on independent.org. Yeah, absolutely. So there has been a continued outpouring of support for Gaza, for Palestinians, for a free Palestine. Like you said, there were thousands in the Bronx and Little Yemen. There were also at least a thousand in the snow that night, Saturday night, at the Lincoln Center, blockading the Lincoln Center um, because they have close ties to Israel. And there was out in Ridgewood, Queens and Maspeth, uh, the Ridgewood Tenants Union protest, which we'll hear more about. But what I was noticing at that protest, because I go to a lot of protests and, you know, sometimes it's just a protest down the streets, bystanders. Some support, some might yell, but the level of emotion that I noticed by the onlookers was kind of unignorable. Um, I noticed, honestly, multiple, multiple elderly people from different backgrounds weeping, weeping, and I spoke to them and it was all sort of on the support side. I'm sad of what's going on and I've moved to see these people, you know, kind of like being able to protest and a lot of people talked about the protesters acting out their freedom and one man, I was really touched by what he said. You know, he was out there very emotional. He's been very emotional about the whole conflict and he was outside a 77-year-old Argentinian man called Pablo Hugo smoking his cigarette in Queens as the, as the march went by and he said, you know, if a country that I loved so much was experiencing this, I would do it. I would be out in the street. And I think that people just need to, like, maybe sit with that more because I think we might all do that. Right. Well, people can read uh, the entirety of your article, Ridgewood Rises Up for Palestine, on independent.org. Uh, it's the top article on our website uh, right now. Uh, Indie Associate Editor Amir Gagarian, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you. Great to be with you. Talk to you soon. And again, that was the Independence, Amber Gagarian, speaking uh, to us here on WBAI 99.5 FM. When we come back uh, after a short break, we'll speak with two organizers from the Ridgewood Tenants Union uh, who helped organize a pro-Palestine protest in Ridgewood, Queens on Saturday. 
They say there is a connection between the mass displacement of longtime residents in their neighborhood and that of Palestinians who continue to be forced off of their ancestral lands by Israel. in the air so it makes it hard to breathe I need my family, protect them from the disease, I went to chase my dreams hoping that they rescue me, made it out the maze, God's been blessing me first time in LA, got guys next to me, it's in my heart, it's in my veins I've been smiling at the pain, the bombs lit up the night sky and turn them into day it's hard to come up with the right rhymes I don't know what to say, I start to cry when I write mine, it happens every day, a lot of death in my lifetime, all I do is